This is the Concealed Carry Podcast, episode number 214. And welcome to the Concealed Carry Podcast, part of the ConcealedCarry.com network. I am your host, Riley Bowman, and today joined by Mr. Matthew Marister. Good afternoon, Riley Bowman and listeners. <laughs> How you doing, man? I'm doing very well, very well. Good, good. You know, I always like introducing you as Mr. Matthew Marister because it just sounds good, you know. It, it, it makes me sound old, though. <laughs> well, you are old compared to me. Sorry to say, bro. Uh, I know. I you don't know. look like it. <laughs> I don't act like it either. But a little bit of gray there, but you're you're doing all right for an old guy. Yeah, for an old timer. <laughs> hey guys, uh, today is a really cool episode. Uh, we are actually going to be playing back an interview that uh, I was I had the pleasure of doing together with Mr. Bill Rogers, the father of Kydex, pretty much as far as it being, especially being used as a as a holster uh, product. And so it was really cool and exciting and fun and just sort of overwhelming almost in a way to sit down with him and pick his brain about holsters and his thought process about what makes a good holster. Uh, you know, some of the work and, and technology and, and thoughts or th and processes, whatever that goes into uh, making and building holsters. And Safari Land is uh, the honorary sponsor of today's episode as we recorded this interview together with Bill in the Safari Land booth at Shot Show 2018, uh, just a short time ago, a couple months ago now, and uh, we're getting close actually now to uh, finally playing back all the different interviews that we were able to do while we were at Shot Show. So we saved some of the best for last. I mean, not to make any of the previous ones uh, less than they actually are, because there's some great content through all these interviews that we've done. Uh, but uh, we got some heavy hitters here at the tail end. Uh, Bill Rogers being today. And we've got Max, uh, Michelle, and Lena Michalek still in the queue. Quite literally saving that interview for like the last. <laughs> so <laughs> that'll be a fun one. Uh, anyway, today's other sponsors, by the way. And we have a special offer uh, for Mantis X, the Mantis Firearms Training System. Uh, we haven't talked about it in a little while on the podcast, and if you don't have this, you really ought to consider looking into it, and if you'll hang around till the end of the episode, we have a special offer on this Mantis Firearms Training System. Uh, I, I, I have a special coupon code that you're going to want to hear towards the end of the episode, so stay, stick around and get that coupon code. You're going to be able to save 10% off the Mantis Firearms Training System. And Guardian Nation members are going to save an additional 10%. So, nice. yeah, that's one of the benefits of being a Guardian Nation member is you get 10% off everything in our store pretty much all the time. And so now with this additional 10% off, it's going to make that Mantis X system very affordable for some of you that haven't you know, been able to quite make that jump yet. It's still, I think, very affordable considering the value you get from it, but... Anyway, and if you want to take advantage of that extra 10%, go check out Guardian Nation, guardiannation.com, and get signed up today. So anyway, Matthew, I think it's about time that we, uh, I, you know, without wasting too much time here, I think we ought to play yeah. this interview. 
yeah, now that Rob's here, um, I think we can begin. <laughs> Rob, yeah, Rob Beckman that uh, we were just talking about a minute ago, uh, checking in from Ohio, the Eastern HQ. <laughs> <laughs> so, hey, guys, uh, everyone joining us on Facebook Live, thanks for being a part of this and uh, chiming in with your comments and questions. And so, anyway, we're about to play back this interview now with uh, Bill Rogers. Hope you enjoy this. Uh, feel free to uh, leave your comments and and questions and things in the comment section on Facebook, or shoot us your comments and questions to podcast at concealedcarry.com. You are always able to reach out to us that way. Uh, Jacob, myself, or Matthew, or sometimes all three of us all personally respond to those emails that come in to to podcast at concealedcarry.com. So I hope you'll check, check in with us at some point, whether via Facebook or via email. So we'll catch you on the other side of this interview. Uh, enjoy, and uh, Matthew and I will have some more analysis to to share. Uh, we've got picks of the week, which we have. It's a, a favorite segment of the podcast we haven't done in a while, uh, partly because of well various issues. I'll just just put it that way. Uh, but we're bringing the segment back today, and I've got a couple of picks for you today to make up for the long hi- hiatus uh, of the picks of the week. And I have no idea what Matthew has in store, so I'm sure he'll surprise us. Yes, I will. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So coming in right up, this interview with Bill Rogers uh, from Safari Land. Enjoy. We'll see you on the other side. To start off, it, uh, if we could maybe talk about kind of your background a little bit. Um, well, I left... Uh, some of your techniques, your sure. shooting school, things like that, if that's okay to touch no, on. No, no, that's all fine. And then get into the holsters. Absolutely, absolutely. Cool. I left the uh, FBI in 1973, and I had a... Uh, a contract to uh, deliver the first Kydex holster um, to the yeah. FBI. They had ordered 400 holsters, and so um, I couldn't I, I couldn't get anybody manufactured. Nobody knew anything about plastic. I sent samples off to Bianchi and Safari Land and a few other companies and Don Hume and so forth, and they had no interest in it. And so the uh, the end result was I took a three year leave of absence, left the bureau, uh, moved back to Florida. Uh, I'd sold my house in Chicago where I was an agent and I put that money in a, a, a rental home that I rented out and I stayed in an apartment and I started a, the production of that first 400 holsters for, for the FBI. And then, so the career went from there and from the original holster, obviously for the FBI was a concealment holster, mm. but I realized that there was a major market in what I was uh, calling at that time a security holster, which there was really no good holster that would secure the weapon. So I started designing for securement, and I made my main business based on security holsters that have some means of locking the weapon in the holster. However, uh, in the in later years, I've gone back and trying to design uh, those same concealment holsters that have some degree of security that tend to lock the weapon in the holster so if you're in a fight the gun doesn't fall out on the ground yeah right and tell me a little a little bit about those first holsters uh were, were those outside the waistband but intended for like wearing underneath a jacket yeah, or something yeah uh back then most of us were aware of inside the belt holsters but for wearing a holster for 10 hours a day in, a, in and out of a car and so forth. Yeah. And at those times we were using revolvers, you know, Smith, good old Smith revolvers. We found that uh, the outside the belt holster 
worked as good as we could get. Now, when we went to smaller guns, we we're carrying like Walther PPKs and and Chief Spousers and so forth. We were using some inside the belt holsters, but for the most part, we were wearing outside the belt holsters just because of the comfort factor. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Now, when when you talk about security holsters, or you know, having I guess the holster hold the firearm securely in it. Uh, you're making these out of Kydex, correct? So, was this just kind of a typical like click, as you know, around the trigger guard, or how? Or, or I guess in those days with the revolver, yeah. you'd be clicking maybe around the cylinder. Yes. Is that kind of how it worked? Or yes. Did you have any sort well, of well we had built we in? had two ways to lock the uh, revolvers into our holster. And one was using the, the cylinder edge, the back of the cylinder edge, yep. so that you could not pull the weapon through the top of the holster. And the other method we used was, since we had a recurve on the trigger guard, is that you could actually take ah. and build a holster that would keep you from pulling the holster up or from the back. From the rear. You would have to take and break it through the front. So we, we call them a break front type holster. So the only way you could really draw it is by moving the holster through the front of the holster mm, yeah and that was our the original design of our security holsters primarily because they were revolvers but what we what i recognized as we progressed on is that then if you could stop the holster from moving through the front of the holster then you couldn't get the holster out and and that brought us to what we call the ss3 or the 070 holster uh, which prevented the holster from being moved forward or moved backwards until you uh, unlocked some type of strap. Yeah. Um, the original holster I sold the Bureau locked around the rear of the trigger guard prevented you from pulling it from the back or straight up. And it had a thumb brake strap that went over it so that you'd mm-hmm. have to break the strap before you could rotate the weapon to the front and draw it. Gotcha. Yeah. That makes sense. Do you have any of these original holsters? Oh, yeah. Still? Yeah, yeah. yeah, I still have some. That would uh, be fascinating to see someday. Yeah, we have a little <laughs> bit of a museum that we've collected the holsters. It, you know, you're going through that period of time. I was more interested about the newest design and not trying to keep the old design. So it's just been in the last few years of trying to go back and find some of the old designs and bring them back in and, and, and keep for, like, uh, history's sake. Yeah. 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 Oh, fascinating. Uh, what do you think about all these new modern design of holsters? Uh, particularly, you know, a lot of these just sort of, you know, holster shops that pop up making stuff out of Kydex. I'm just curious your thoughts on well, all that, you know, that industry. The, uh, the Kydex industry, going back to the FBI, the first model that I made for them was an all Kydex holster. It did not have any kind of leather lining. And, and the Kydex back in that time was made by a company called Roman Haas. And uh, it's a PVC acrylic alloy, which is quite uh, abrasive toward the finish of a gun. So when they tested the first sample, they came back and said, no, deal's off. We're not going to buy any of these holsters because it took the balloon off of our guns almost instantly. (laughs) So what I did is I came up with what is known as the thermolaminate. And it was a patented process. Obviously, it's expired now because it goes all the way back to 1974, 75. Uh, 73 is when I started. But anyway, so it was a process where I was capable of of laminating the leather suede at that time to the inside of the holster. Now, you have to understand that during that period of time, about the only glues that were available for leather was like barred cement, and it was a, a, a neoprene-based uh, adhesive. Well, the problem was, is to form kydex, we have to go in excess of 300 degrees Fahrenheit 
well, all of the neoprene glues would break down. So the, you could glue it on the leather, but you couldn't form it because by the time you got it that hot, the leather just flew off. So I came up with a process of using a, a nitrile rubber, which has a much higher temperature, and you coat both surfaces, the plastic surface and the leather surface with the nitrile. It dries, and at around 300 degrees, it bonds together fuses it, it actually vulcanizes mm. and then you could form the holster at 350 and allow it to cool and you had a leather lined holster and that's what the bureau bought mm. it's because they wanted a holster that would not abrade the, the finish off their weapons right. so i patented that process and so for 17 years all of the other companies that now recognize that a kydex holster is pretty good could not use the thermal laminate process so they could only make an all kydex type holster which again until the advent of the glock which has a, a, a unique finish and doesn't wear quite so much right uh all the other finishes were wearing off the guns and nobody wanted to put their high dollar gun into an all kydex holster but in recent years uh i've been able to come up with uh, nylon materials that have no fillers there's no glass involved and and, and nylon's a neat material. You make a rope out of it, you know, and, and if you if you uh, strand it. And so what I, I realized is that you could make a holster out of that soft of a nylon that has no abrasive abilities. You can rub it against the finish all day long. But in order to do that, you have to design the holster so it has the rigidity because the Kydex has a lot of rigidity because of the PVC part of, and the acrylic part of it. The PVC is kind of flexible, but the acrylic right. makes it stiff. But the nylon, if you can design it right and you can corrugate it, and when I say corrugate, if you're familiar with a cor cardboard box, sure. it's lightweight, and the fact that it's got little corrugations there gives it stiff stiffness. So we were capable of coming up and designing our holsters so that there was some corrugation ribbing and so forth into the holster that gives us the rigidity, mm. but also we're using a material that's soft enough it won't abrade the finish off the gun, and that's what we call our 7TS. And so now most of our, our new products are injection molded or injection molded with the, with this technology. Yeah. So our inside the belt holsters, our outside the belt holsters, and so forth, we're, we're using that technology. That's amazing. Now, I'm, I want to come back to the holsters. You've got some out here on the table with yep. us here today, so we'll talk about these and some of the new uh, products from Safariland. Uh, but I want to kind of shift gears a little bit. And, I mean, besides making really amazing holsters... You're also known as being a pretty darn good shooter and instructor. Uh, I'm curious if you'd share with us uh, kind of the, the start or the founding of or beginnings sure. of the Rogers Shooting School and everything that followed that. Well, I, I've, been, I've been involved in shooting from the time I was about seven years old. And by the time I was 14 years old, I, I was a trap and skeet champion uh, in, in Florida. And so I grew up... Um, shooting moving targets and, mm. and in our area we lived out in the woods and so forth and, and we had a grove uh, with with uh, raccoon problems and rat problems and so uh, everything that we shot for real was almost always moving it, it might not have been moving until you started shooting at it but once you started shooting it began to move so I, I based almost all of my prior experience around how to engage targets that are moving well make a long story short I developed a, a series of holsters starting with uh, what we call the 295, which is present-day numbers, and then the 070, which is a Safariland holster, which were fairly complex holsters in the fact that they were secure holsters, but they were 
you had to practice to draw. Well, to begin with, none of the police departments would buy them because they felt like it, it was too difficult for them to learn how to draw. So yeah. what I did is I would go in and I would challenge. I, I'd talk to the chief and I'd show him the new holster. And they, he, was, he was not really concerned uh, uh, about security as much as he was concerned more about his officers being able to draw quickly out of the holster. That, that was in that, that era. So what I do is I say, well, we need to go to the range. I need to show you how this operates, and, and I need you to have your firearms instructor. So the firearms instructor would show up, and I would break out of my car, and I'd put two steel plates out, and, and I had the original, like, pro shot timer at that time. <laughs> and it was a very simple deal. It would just form a beep, and, and it would measure the time. It I'm had guessing no it was other. a pretty big big box. Yeah, it was relatively. Yeah, it was not, <laughs> not anything like today's deal, and you, you couldn't change it. It only did one thing. But anyway, so I would wind up by putting my steel targets on a sawhorse, and in the process, I'd say, so, so Chief, uh, I'm going to challenge your farms instructor because he's using a conventional holster that you think is great, and we're going to, when the beep goes off, I'm going to draw from my security holster, and I'm going to shoot my steel plate down, and you're your instructor here is going to compete with it. Well, at this point now, the instructor now realizes he's in a challenge. Okay, so so I've got the uh, a little bit of an advantage because I know what I'm getting into to begin with, and and I know their training. So the typical back in those days, they didn't even time the first shot off at a holster. But if it was, it was around two two and a half seconds. Mm. Well, my draws had to be around one and a half seconds, which is what our limit is still today. If I don't care what security holster we develop, I still have to be able to draw out of it and engage an accurate shot in one and a half seconds. So anyway, to make right. a long story short, I could beat him every time. I never <laughs> lost a match. And so the chief would say, he'd kind of look at his farms instructor and say, you know, Jack, what the heck happened? And I would step in and say, well, part of it's the design of the holster. I mean, he doesn't have a proper grip on it, yada, yada, yada. He, he, he can't release it quickly, and, and not only can I do that, but I've got all these security features. So that's how I began to try to sell holsters. Well, mm. over a real short period of time, I finally had a, the chief that called me up and said, you know, we we bought four on rear holsters, and our, our guys still can't shoot with the crap. So can you show us your technique? So that's that was around 1974. Mm. So I said, yeah, I can teach you how to do that. And at that time, I had developed... A, a moving target system. It was a simple system. It was motorized, operated, cam-driven, and I could make the exposure time of the sar- target one and a half seconds to a half a second. And so I, I could break this thing out. I could set it up. It was battery-operated. And I began to train these guys of how to engage a target in a half a second. That was the whole deal. And so to begin with, we're starting if you had the weapon extended out of the weapon aimed in a safe direction, like a 45-degree angle. For them to engage a head plate, a head target, head-sized target at like seven yards, the, the time that we saw to, to this day, to this day, most departments don't have a time, but if they have a time, it's around one and a half seconds. Yep. Okay, so it's like one and a half seconds now. That's not out of the holster, but that's with the weapon extended, not aimed at the target, to drive and gauge. Well, I was able to be able to teach them how to engage that same target in a half a second. Mm-hmm. And the way I did it is I only exposed the tech- target for a half a second. So you had to shoot at it, just like skeet, trap, any other type of sport where we were dealing with human reaction time. To motivate people to do it, you've got to make it go away fast enough. 
So if I can make this target go away in a half a second, you've got to learn how to hit it in half a second. Yeah. So once you do that, the subconscious mind changes its gears. It's, it is able to now understand and recognize how you can take and multitask. So if you look at today's training, unfortunately, in most of the police departments, yeah. they start with a weapon out of the holster. Not a problem. We, I'm sorry, out of the weapon, which we do too. And so their technique is they drive the weapon and they, their mind wants to see a stabilized weapon, a stabilized sight picture before they put the finger in the trigger. And then they want to start and begin to press the trigger, what we call precision type shooting. Well, you add up all those and what we call human response time, you've got the one and a half seconds. So what I learned, and this was, I learned it on my own, but then reading and studying the history of all this, we can go back almost 80 years ago to people that understood this and, and they were able to demonstrate it. <clears throat> and so essentially what we do is we multitask. As we lift the weapon, the finger goes in the trigger. We've committed the shot. But as we lift the weapon, the finger goes in the trigger and we're pressing the trigger to complete the shot. There is no stabilization. There's no stabilization when you're shooting trap and skeet and so forth, and there really is no necessary to have a stabilization to hit this head plate at the seven-yard target. Mm. It's the, the fact that you've been trained to do that. The subconscious mind does not want to fire the shot until it sees all the stabilization. But in a short period of time, and I, and I say short, within about five or six hours of doing some of our drills, I've got guys that are engaging in hitting a hit head target in a half a second with the weapon exposure. So now then what we do is we move that out. So we are attempting to move that out from seven yards to like 16 yards away to do those same drills, half a, sec half a second shots to, to hit these moving head plates. Mm. And so once I developed that, and that was like 1975, is I finally developed a series of targets that did that, is now I got people that are learning and understanding how we taught. And that's when I, I landed the first contract, major contract, was Navy SEALs. And so I had to sign all kinds of non-disclosure. I couldn't teach anybody else. I could only teach them. And, and for a number of years, we had their contract to train them how to do this type of shooting. And it wasn't until, you know, later on, past like 1991, is that when that contract expired, that I began to branch out and train other agencies the Army, the Air Force, uh, Marine Corps, and civilian populations. And from that, you know, I sold those, that target systems and that system and that type of training really actually all over the world. Mm. So it's, it's, a, it's a unique system, but it's based on the fact that I've got to make the target go away. And, and the neat thing about it is it's called positive instant recognition. It's how you learn all eye-hand-coordinated skills. I don't care if it's shooting pool, playing ping pong, football, baseball, whatever. There's, there's a simple recipe. And the first thing the recipe says is that I have to have a positive result. Okay, so I can swing in a baseball all day long. Until I hit it, I don't learn anything. Right. So I have to have a positive result. And what we've learned through not only my studies but others is that we have to have an instantaneous Recognition, So it's po positive instant recognition that trains the subconscious mind. So I could hit a target, but if I don't, I'm not aware I hit the target until a minute or two minutes later, it, it doesn't register. Right. And so what the, the guys that really study this have learned that we've got to get this feedback, this positive feedback, within 300 milliseconds. Uh, wow. No, no one knows what, what that's all about. 
but I've got that information if I can if the subconscious mind is aware of the results of my actions within 300 milliseconds, it can record it, it can map it, it can reproduce it. That's what all that training is all about. So with that, I can go out to 300 yards easy with a 5.56 rifle because I can hit the target and in my mind can see through my optical sight that I hit that target and I hit it less than the 300 milliseconds and the brain then records of what that sight picture looked like it could be moving and it says for that size target that amount of movement's okay yeah and so essentially that's the whole concept that we use to train our rifle shooting and our handgun shooting is that we know what is humanly re- uh, possible through studying what human response time is mm. and once we know what's human re- uh, possible, we train to that. Now, yeah. not everybody can pass, but we have a great result where at least 70% of our people can pass our standards of engaging these targets in that kind of quick time. So, like from a holster, we, we from a from a dedicated, what we call a level two, level three holster, it's one and a half seconds. i got to be able to draw and hit that target in one and a half seconds before it goes down. Yeah. But, but just learning how to respond to a target that's aggressive that moves towards you is important because most of the training that we see in law enforcement across the board is usually, most of it is is based on an audible, blow whistle, blow alarm, whatever, or shot timer goes off. Yep. Uh, how many real gun battles start with an audible alarm? They usually start with an aggressive action. Yep. So the first time that I got, is, got a, a target that pops up and jars them at seven yards, they're startled. They don't even know how to deal with that. So it takes them to train to actually deal to to this aggressive action and then be able, capable to operate in the time. So it's it's interesting. I've enjoyed it. But anyway, the school started in 1975. It's called the Rogers Shooting School. And to this day, it's still run by me, and and we still operate out of a little area in uh, L.J., Georgia. It's in the mountains of North Georgia, about uh, 40 miles north of Atlanta. And so that's been our business. We've worked with all of the all of the military agencies and many of the foreign special forces agencies. But as as we've progressed, we've sold them a lot of systems. We've given them our our uh, training uh, uh, scenarios and, and our testing. And so as we've done that, and quite honestly, I was happy to do that. I mean, if people kept saying, you know, you're destroying your competition, you know, you're developing your competition, you're losing business. But that really was never my interest to begin with. You know, it was more of a service to, to the nation and to our military guys and to our law enforcement is to teach them really how to engage targets quickly, which unfortunately I've made a pretty good serious dent in the military, but for law enforcement, that's been a tough mm. road change. Yeah. yeah, and there's certainly a lot of room oh, yeah. in, in that segment of the industry for sure, too. But I could see that uh, with budgets the way they are these days, and I'm sure you get it. So let's shift back now to these yeah. holsters. Uh, sure. Tell me a little bit about what we got here on the table. Well, this is our, our newest version for the 1911. You know, the 1911 has been around, obviously, since 1911. And while a lot of people still like this weapon, is the fact that it's relatively thin compared to many of the polymer guns. 
So yep. when, you, when you look at an all-metal gun like a Browning High Power or 1911, you can actually get a real low-profile gun, and it's easier to conceal. So we have just recently come up with our what we call our 7378 holster, which uses what we call an ALS lock. Mm-hmm. And the ALS lock is operated by the thumb. It's a, a, you know, a lot of people call it a thumb drive. But it locks the pistol into the holster, so I could actually lift you off the ground with this. But yeah. at the same time, it's relatively easy to teach somebody to operate. And if you notice, uh, I know this is, this is an audio uh, review as, a par- as opposed to video, but if you notice how thin we can actually get this because of the thinness of the 1911, then we can make an outside-the-belt holster that is very concealable, and at the same time, it's very secure. So this is uh, what we call our, our 7378 uh, for 1911. I'm going to take a picture. That way we can... Okay, great. You can get we, an idea. We can put this right on the post with the uh, face or with the uh, podcast feed. Sure. So, yeah. And what's neat about this, we can make it with a variety of belt pieces. So we have a regular belt slide. We have a paddle. We, we have two different, different belt slide situations depending on what's, what the operator wants to use and what size belt he wants to use. This is probably one of our most comfortable and most concealable. So that's one of our models. At the same time, um, we develop what we call the GLS system, and, and that's a, a locking system that works with the middle finger as opposed yep. to the thumb drive. And so I'm going to show you a a holster now and quite honestly we can actually make this actually a little bit thinner and a little more concealable because we're not using the thumb drive which requires a little bit of room to th- for the thumb right. to operate on the side of the gun yeah for the side of the gun so this is operated by the middle finger as in forming the shooting grip so i can t- you can probably see uh, take a little better yeah. picture right here and so the way it works is you form a shooting grip on the weapon and it releases and it draws so we've got, an, again, another very secure system that I can basically lift you off the ground and the gun doesn't come out of the holster until you form a shooting grip. So we've made this now for a variety of the smaller pistols. This has been available for the larger pistols, but for the Glock 42 and 43 and the Shield pistol mm. and, uh, and, and, and many of the other smaller pistols, this allows a very concealable uh, situation that we can build a holster. And so this is, uh, is, is again, and this is all yep. using the new technology with what we call the 7TS material. And, and this looks like it's got like a mini paddle. It has. Yeah. It, it, comes, it, it comes available with any belt slide. The way we make our holsters with what we call our three-hole pattern yep. is I can put just about any back piece on it. You can put a paddle on it. You can put the small paddle on it. A lot of the guys like the smaller yep. paddle because, you know, it's just a smaller package all the way around. Yeah. You know, if, if they're, sometimes they just want to put this thing uh, in a, in a, a small uh, attache case or something like that, and they, and they don't want the bulk that maybe the larger paddle is because they're not going to wear it until they need to put it on. So this holster makes a real small package that you can carry and then slip it on your belt if you need to. Yeah, very easily. You know, and that three-hole pattern, by the way, I think is just so brilliant that you guys have been employing now for quite some time. Uh, I mean, even right down to your competition gear, competition belts, that's what I run in three-gun, and, yep. and uh, it just works so well, so modular. Yep. So then we do have a line of inside-the-belt holsters that we make, and we make them for the larger pistols as well. And so most of us, uh, you know, a lot of people are, are really concerned about what we call the appendix, appendix carry. Right. Uh, personally, I find that that is the most comfortable for me to, to, to uh, use. And so these are all what we call appendix carries. And so 
the, the way they simply work is we're going to wear them in our appendix position, and you can cover them with almost a T-shirt. They're, they're right. really, when you get down into deep cover, it's the easiest way to cover it, and it's also the fastest draw. Because basically all we're doing is we're taking our non-shooting hand and we're lifting up that T-shirt or that light jacket or whatever. And as we're lifting up, the other hand comes in and sweeps the weapon and makes yeah. the draw. So um, as opposed to the, you know, the, the small of the back or a strong side draw, where we have absolutely have to kind of sweep the jacket out of the way or, or if we have to lift the shirt, it's difficult because the shirt wants to try to come back down on top of it because our non-shooting hand is difficult to get all the way over where that is. So I find that the, the appendix uh, is, is actually the most concealable, for me, the most comfortable for short weapons. Now, there's a lot of people that are real concerned about appendix because if you get careless sure. and keep your finger in the trigger, you've got a serious wound. You do have a problem. Yeah, a serious wound. But in any case, we make a, a, a series yeah. of lines. And this uh, is really, I mean, this appendix holster here, number one, I'm noticing it's very light. Yes, uh, super thin. Very, very thin profile. Yep. Now, it doesn't have quite the security lock that our GLS and our ALS holsters right. do. It has a positive lock in that it locks on the trigger guard with, with friction. So you have to overcome the friction to draw it. But, right. you know, when you're, you're trying to draw the weapon, you will finally get it out if you've, you've practiced a little bit. Now, this is something that you don't often see in Kydex these days, and that is that this one's stitched. Yes. Well, when you get to the really thin material and you're forming it, it you know you can you can use a, use riveting or you can right. use t stitching. We still find that we prefer the stitching. Uh, it's actually a little bit stronger than the rivets because you can pop rivets sometimes, but you sure. have to tear the whole stitch line. Yeah, this is secured all up and down yep. that that seam. Yep. yep. So we we still do many of our holsters through a stitch line yep. process. Yeah, and you can see how you've doubled back and. And really reinforce the the edges of these seams as well. So, yeah, no, this is fantastic. Um, you know, actually, you know, I'm going to hold off a question for just a minute. Let's let's continue on with some of these other holster products. Yeah. So, and then I do have a follow up for you. Yeah. So we we've uh, again we have another model here that's been around for a long, long time. Mm -hmm. It's it's uh, actually I, I think I invented this model holster. Uh, uh, I, I want to say like 1977. Oh, wow. And so what, what it was, was it was Kydex only in the top part of it. And, and what it was designed is because with the inside the belt holster, if you got a pretty snug belt, if you drew your weapon, the holster would collapse, and it was difficult to reholster. Yep. But we didn't want the hard Kydex throughout the holster, so we only made it around the top portion of it. And so what it does is, is it allows us to take and use multiple different guns. We can put a whole series of different guns and then we just simply have an, adi uh, a, a, an adjustment here that puts a little clamp pressure. And it also has what, what we call a U-hook mm -hmm. uh, and that allows us to adjust it for any kind of cant position. And it's set up right now for an appendix position, but you could put this for the small of the back or strong side. But essentially what it was designed is that once you put it inside your belt and you had your belt pretty snug on it, that if you drew your weapon, you could also reholster your weapon because it wouldn't collapse at the top. The bottom part of the holster is a soft material. In fact, in the old days, it was all leather. Now we're using a, 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 a nylon product with a, a leather lining in it. So what it does is it makes a real comfortable holster because the very end of it is not hard. It'll right. flex against your, your uh, soft part of your body. But it allows a good positive draw, and we can adjust it for a variety of different weapons. So we, we make them 
in different sizes so that you could have the small one, you could put a whole series of different small guns and you just uh, jump the, adjust the clamp pressure on it. It's a frictional type of, of draw. But anyway, it's, a, it's been around for gullies, like I say, early uh, early 1970s uh, yep. up until the present. We still manufacture it. Now tell me, what's the model number on this particular one here? It's called a 27. Yep. And, uh, and we, this would fit which guns? Well, we... It fits almost everything. It, 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 it uh, not not one model, but we make the twenty-seven in different what we call center codes. Uh-huh. So we have a model that'll take the like the nineteen and the and it'll take a, the M and P, and we're talking about the shorter version. So it'll take the compact M and P. It'll take the compact uh, Glock, like Glock nineteen. Yep. In fact, it'll take any weapon that's about that size. And then yep. we have a model that takes a little bit larger, and we have models that take a little bit smaller. Yep. So basically. If, if you go on our line and, and look, if you if you type in what model of pistol that you've got, it'll tell you what model 27 that right. you should order. Right. But it's been a popular holster, like I say, for all these years. Yeah. And st- to this day, it's hard to beat. We cover, we, we, we have a, a kind of a soft material that covers right at the top of the slide because that's almost always against your body. And um, so, so we're covering any of the kydex, and it has a kydex liner, but we have the softer material that, that protects it against your body. Yeah. Another neat feature about it is it doesn't transfer moisture through to the gun because it's water resistant. And that's kind of important because in the area where you carry these guns, we've we got a lot of perspiration that's going on, you know, and during the summer months when, when uh, we're trying to conserve some, something really concealed that we don't have a jacket and so forth, it can get pretty warm. And so if, you, if you've got just a good old standard leather holster like we've had for many, many years, the, 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 the sweat actually transfers through that weapon, and yeah. it's very corrosive toward the guns. Indeed. So this actually Especially for the guy that will wear that same gun and holster every day, every day yes. and never take it out. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you know, you may take it out uh, two weeks later and take a look at it, and it's orange. You know? So, you know, uh, the, the salts that come out of the body for many people are very corrosive. So yeah. it, it actually takes and protects the gun at the same time it protects the gun against your body. Neat yeah. little holster. It's been around, I like to say, forever. Yeah, that's awesome. And then what's this last one here that we've that we got Well, here? this is... Uh, is, is a similar uh, of what we call the 7TS with the ANL, ALS lock, but yep. we made it for the LC9 yep. pistol. This it's, is a smaller version yeah, of this a, one here. Yeah, exactly. Yep. It's just a smaller version of what we talked about with the 1911. But, um, you know, we find the little Ruger pistol is one of, one of the greatest triggers out there uh, for a little carry gun. Yep. And uh, it's a super little gun, and it's, it's lightweight, and it's thin, and... And so we can actually take and build an outside-the-belt holster that's almost as concealable as an inside-the-belt holster and quite a bit more comfortable. Yeah. So that's a... But anyway, we make this for a variety of all, all the, you know, not all the small guns, but we make it for the Springfield XDS, and we make it for the Ruger, and we make it for the uh, uh, Smith & Wesson Shield, and for the Glock 42 and the Glock 43. And we also yeah. now make them for the, like, like the Glock 43 with the TLR-6... Uh, little light module, right. so so we make all of these variations out there for the guys that want to carry the little light mounted on the on the small guns. Yeah. So that's our you know and and a, what's neat about this I want to I want to add this one other feature is that all of our little seven TS holsters that I'm talking about and that's when I say seven TS it's it's uh, it uses an ALS lock. And so it's an ALS using our our nylon technology, but we can make that same holster 
converted into a shoulder holster, which is again extremely concealable and very comfortable. Yeah. So and if, you're wearing that here right now. Yeah. So if I'm driving in a car or flying my airplane, you know, I, I fly a lot to my range uh, in in Georgia, and so it's a, a little over a three-hour flight, and so. Uh, because of the bolster system on our seats nowadays in, in, in small cars and airplanes is that a typical holster is kind of uncomfortable after three hours. But you can wear a little shoulder holster for all day long and never know it. Mm-hmm. And so it's easy to conceal. It's easy to put on. It's, and, it, and it has a secure uh, unit because of the ALS lock. It's not going to come out of there. And so I find that uh, during the winter months when I can wear a light jacket, or even a, a, a heavier pullover button-up shirt or so forth that I don't have to button up, is it's a great, it's a great concealment holster. Yep. And uh, so, so one of the things, it's hard to show this uh, without a video, but you can actually take, if you've got a light jacket on, if somebody asks you, you can do this, and it doesn't look like you're wearing anything. You know? And at the same time, I always tell people, if you're walking down the street and you've got a real concern, I teach you a technique where you simply take your your shooting hand and cross underneath your non-shooting hand underneath your jacket and you look like you're just very casual but right. you've got the fastest draw coming because you've got the weapon in your hand and all you got to do is draw it yeah and so if you don't have to draw it and you're you've got your hands back out and you look normal and don't look like you're aggressive or causing any issues so it's a neat little holster uh, yeah. i've i find that a lot of people gave up wearing shoulder holsters almost 10 or 15 years ago but there's a place for them you know, when we were in the FBI, I find that during the winter months when we're carrying overcoats and wearing overcoats over our jacket coats, it's sometimes that the, a little shoulder holster backup and sometimes a pocket holster was our backup is because it was difficult to get through all of the gear that we're you know, wearing in winter months. Yeah. And so uh, it, was, it was an answer for, especially when we're on surveillance and we're sitting in a car for a long period <laughs> of the time, you know, to, to try to draw through your jacket and your coat and your overcoat in the winter months is kind of a problem <laughs> <laughs> sitting in a car. You betcha. So uh, this might be a little bit too early to ask about. I don't know, but, you know, I think one of the talks of the show here right now is the little gun uh, from SIG, the P365. Yeah, it's a neat gun. Is that uh, something that you guys are working oh, on? Oh, yeah, sure, 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 sure. <laughs> we'll, we'll have holsters. In fact, I think we already have a model fitted. But, but yeah, we look at any of the – that is the reason that we send our we, – we have engineers here at the show that are walking around the show trying Absolutely. to look at new model guns. Yep. It's, it's a shame that the gun industry is not – it's not that they're not smart enough. It's that they don't want to release anything – prior to their release yeah so we don't know that there's a new gun come or, or a new gun coming until it it appears yeah and so then instantly people are buying guns and they want to know what holsters they can put it in so <laughs> we're always uh we're you know we're always like three or four months behind the program yeah and so it'd be nice if we could i don't mind signing non-disclosures and confidential agreements but if the companies were smart they would come to us and say hey we got a new model i need you to sign a non-disclosure about this but we're going to we're going to deliver this thing, whatever the date is, yep. and we'd like to have a holster made for it. But right. other than that, that just doesn't happen. <laughs> and so the, the real concern is that sometimes uh, we get a, one of these models after we find out that, that it is in production. And by the time we design the tooling, they've changed the design slightly. Mm. You know, we see this a lot from SIG, and <laughs> we've, we've seen it from other companies sure. too is that they introduce a gun and they sell 500 guns and they find out there's a slight problem here or there and they, they increase the magazine latch or the slide stop or they change the dimension of the 
of the of the frame or whatever. And we're caught up in a deal where we've just invented tooling, put a lot right. of money in a it lot of money. build a holster that not no longer fits. <clears throat> yeah, for sure. I can see that being frustrating for sure. Kind of switching back just to, as we get close to wrapping things up here, uh, I wanted to ask you, Bill, about uh, what goes through your mind or what's your approach where it comes to drawing a gun? I mean, you spent a lifetime teaching people how to draw and get a shot, an accurate shot on target quickly. What is, this, what is the process, uh, the way you see it? Well, the first process is what we call the index, and, mm-hmm. and that's where your hand has got to find a starting point on the gun and holster because if you don't have a starting point from there on out you're in deep trouble so it depends on how the holster unlocks you know if it's if it's a simple frictional lock then then the the index is is actually what we call the shooting grip on the weapon you know you're forming the shooting grip but if you have to take and release some mechanism you know uh whether it be operated you know we we don't design any of our holsters where we unlock the weapon with our trigger finger. It's something that I'm opposed to from the beginning. Uh-huh. I'm not here knocking anybody else, but we decided a long time ago that if we're going to use some measure to unlock the holster, we want to use the thumb we, because people get confused. Mm. They get confused with unlocking the holster with pulling the trigger if you're using a trigger finger. But in any case, so if, so our holsters that require some motion, like the SLS, which you actually have to rotate a hood out of the way. Mm-hmm. So the index is certainly a different position than it is for like an ALS, where all we are are trying to get a high thumb position, or one of our holsters that doesn't have um, doesn't have any kind of uh, securement other than uh, friction. So so the first thing is the index, and the second thing is we release the holster, whatever mechanism releases, and hopefully by that time we form a shooting grip. You've got to form the shooting grip before you start the draw. Yeah. The weapon is only stabilized in the holster. Once it starts to leave the holster, it's no longer stabilized. So we're not like the good old bullseye shooter that takes his non-shooting hand and supports it until he gets this perfect grip. <laughs> you know, We have got to draw the weapon, and by the time it leaves at least half of the holster, we better have the shooting grip. That's the grip we're going to be forced to shoot with. Yep. So, and we've seen people that get the index off wrong, and from that point on, they'll they sometimes draw and lose the gun and, and throw the gun across the room. <laughs> I mean, we, we see it happen. So the index is important. Then the release, whatever mechanism, the shooting grip is important. And then the next step is, is that we have to have the elbow almost straight back. If you let the elbow pitch out to the side, it creates a torque on the gun. And so as we, as we draw, we're fighting additional resistance, and the draw is bad. The other thing, too, is that over the years, we've recognized that the best draw is to raise the pistol as high as we physically can raise the pistol on the draw. And, and the reason is, is that, first of all, we're keeping the weapon close to our body. So if someone's overrunning our position, we don't have the weapon out in front of us, not in a firing position where they can take the weapon away. So if we lift the weapon as high as we possibly can and keep it close to our body, then we can take and rotate at that point. And it's, it's a simultaneous motion. When it reaches the, the, the highest spot, we're going to rotate it toward the subject target. And at that point, if the second hand is going to get involved, it has to get involved now. Yeah. Now, the second hand could be blocking a baseball bat or a knife or whatever, or blocking the individual, so it might not get involved or pushing somebody away. But if it's going to get involved, it has to get involved right at that spot when the, 
when the weapon rotates toward the target. Now, from this point on, the weapon is driven. In, you know, I, I call it steering. We're steering mm -hmm. the weapon toward the target. And we have to do it underneath the dominant eye. So the weapon is steered underneath the dominant eye. And at that point, as we start forward, the finger goes in the trigger. In our teaching, we actually start working the trigger, we call it. We're, we're, we're going to consolidate the movement of the, of the weapon as we work the trigger. And we're going to time the shot when the front sight is engaged, is whatever it needs to be on the target, and the shot breaks. And that's how we demonstrate that shot. Now, the good thing is, is that as we drive that weapon high and rotate it toward the target, it's now closer to our eye itself. Right. And so our peripheral vision gives us what we call vertical alignment. Okay, and it also, the main thing to it gives us horizontal alignment. The horizontal alignment is, is what we have to have initially. And then as we drive the weapon out underneath our eye, we can get the vertical alignment so that we're very close to alignment before the final extension. So the closer it is to the eye, we have the, this alignment that's taking place so that we can make the faster shot. Mm. So the people that sweep, we call it sweeping, where they draw the weapon and drive it in, in kind of an arc underneath them, they don't have that alignment. You know, they, they don't have the horizontal alignment and they don't have the vertical alignment because it's, it's, it's moving in two yeah. axes. So this way, when I, when I turn the weapon toward the target, I already have a little bit of horizontal alignment and a little bit of vertical alignment just because it's very close to my eye. And I'm gathering all that information as I drive the weapon out so that, and I'm working the trigger so that the final yeah. instant that the weapon is out there, the shot's going to break and it's going to be an accurate shot. Right. That's fantastic. Uh, I really appreciate the way you explain that. It's uh, very simple and very clear, easy to understand. Going back to the index, yeah. <clears throat> anything in particular you would say or add as far as how do we ensure we, we, we develop that index point and that we hit that same point every well, time? Well, it's all, it's all about muscle memory. It's all about repetition. I mean, uh, all of our training that we talk about is the repetition. And it's got to be correct repetition, obviously. And, 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 so, and we've got to do it in the proper time. It's just like if, if I allow you to be happy with two-and-a-half-second draw, then it's always going to be two-and-a-half-second draw. Yeah. So I, I've got to take and force you to draw positively in the time that we need to draw. Now, the, the indexing, like I said, is different for each model of holster, depending on what kind of release mechanism, you know, and we're, and we're trying to... Uh, within the index, we got a starting point, but the next step is to create, if we, if we have to unlock the holster, the next step is to create a shooting grip, which is high as we could possibly get on the, on the grip of the weapon. Mm -hmm. So if, if we grip the weapon, if we index improperly, then there's a good chance that we're going to grip the weapon improperly. Yep. And so then we're going to fight that throughout the shooting cycle and it doesn't get better. You know, it's a really <laughs> difficult. Yeah. So, so the, the fact that you take a you know ten extra milliseconds to make sure that the index is properly, then that gives you another proper shot so that you have a proper grip. Yeah. So, if it's a simple holster that doesn't have any complex release mechanism, whether it's operated by the trigger finger or the thumb or whatever, then that index is truly the shooting grip of the weapon. And so, it's a matter of practicing. So that when you come up, it, I, I talk to people, it, it's, it's like you're going to take and sweep an, uh, an uncooked egg off of the table without crushing it. 
you know, the, the sweep is a very quick motion, but at the last second, there's a little bit of a pause so that you don't knock the egg off the table. Yeah. And you certainly don't crush the doggone egg. So that instant motion, the fastest motion is what we call the index. It's as fast as we can move our hands, and then there's a slight pause. And the yeah. pause is so that you can manipulate your hand and find the index and or the shooting grip. But that it, it has to have that pause. You know, it has, yeah. you, you can't have the movement toward the weapon as fast as the forming of the grip because now you've got a problem. You don't right. have the proper grip. So That's the, great. the movement toward that is a very fast motion, but there's a slight pause just like you're going to grab that egg without crushing it or knocking it off the table. And then at that point, you're going to create your, from the index to the grip, and then you start the draw stroke. And now you've got a positive grip on the weapon. It's indexed, and it's all all about missile, um, yeah. uh, muscle memory. And yeah. it's you can do this all dry firing. You never have to fire a shot. That's right. You know you can you can uh, have a dry fire room with a safe area and make sure you don't take loaded ammunition in there so forth. And you get yourself a pro shot timer and you can set it for one and a quarter seconds and you work on your draw and your presentation. And if you do twenty or thirty of those a night for a month, you're dead on. It's going to help a lot. You know, you've yeah, got we see that all the time. Yep. And the other thing too is, I find it's really important is almost everybody is doing their practice drawing and so forth in a in a, 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 a standing position without moving. It's important that we learn that one of the one of the most important things that we learn in true combat is trying to maintain our distance. Okay, so you got somebody charging you. To try to stand and hold your ground to make a draw, especially when yep. he's like seven yards away, is really a, a, not a good, good idea. So we need to learn how to backpedal or move or sidestep. And so those are things that screw up our draws. Because if we haven't practiced moving, and I, I tell people at our shooting school, we do through this cycle quite a few times. And just about everybody, when the target operates, or just about everybody wants to start the draw before they start to move. Well, in real life, that's not the case. When somebody starts to charge it, your first reaction is to get the hell out of it. Right. So, so in this case, we try to teach them, no, I need you to make a one or two steps before you start making the draw. Well, the fact that the body <clears throat> begins to move pretty aggressively, that's when the, the index and the forming the grip is really critical. Yeah. I mean, we've got guys that draw and throw the gun, like I say, <laughs> six feet in front of them because they've never done that before. So in your dry fire practice, you ought to, work with when the shot timer goes off is start moving back for quick at least three or four steps quickly back as you draw the weapon yep. or sidestep qu quickly back these are all skills that i don't see unfortunately trained much in law enforcement or civilian market that's really critical yeah. cool well thank you so much for your time today mr rogers uh, this has been a fantastic interview and really are appreciative of your time today sir not a problem glad to do it thank, thank you very you much. So much okay appreciate it there you have it, uh, my interview together with Bill Rogers from Safari Land. And, uh, yeah, a lot of, I mean, there's a lot of information packed into that interview. Uh, what did you yeah, think, Matt? Yeah, I, I, you know, I hate to use the word pioneer because it makes him sound old. But, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, really, when you think about it, the, the uh, instruction that's coming, you know, all our instructors that we, we think about as being, you know, the, 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 um, putting together classes that, you know, are blowing them, people's minds and saying, Hey, uh, we're looking at shooting in a different way. But if you look back, I mean, it, the foundations are built from people like Bill Rogers, you know, and, and um, just listening to him, you know, that 
that wealth of information in his brain has just is is incredible and has shaped the way we look at you know defensive shooting um, uh, fundamentals even today. Yep. Yeah, I, it's so true. You know, one of the things I thought was I've not had anybody else bring this up on the podcast before. And he talked about this uh, positive instant recognition um, mm-hmm. aspect to learning. And what I thought was interesting about that is when he explained that it, it doesn't need to be just a recognition, but it needs to be instantaneous. And more specifically, it needs to be within 300 milliseconds or three seconds. Right. Right. For you to really learn something from that. And that's, you know, as you think about that and as you think about your own learning, uh, particularly as it relates to shooting, that is so true. You know it's true. Uh, you think about what it's like when you are shooting a gun, especially a gun, I would say, because of it being loud and having recoil. Uh, if you don't recognize what you did instantaneously, chances are by the next time you fire, by the, by the next round you fire, you it's out of your mind. It's gone. Right. Right. And there are those moments in life for me as a shooter when something all of a sudden clicks and because you, you, there's finally something that you recognize about yourself and about what you were doing at that moment. And you go, ah, you know, and, and there's little things maybe that you picked up years ago. Maybe somebody taught you or showed you, but it never really made sense. And then all of a sudden in a moment, you recognize, oh, wait, when I did this, this happened. This was the positive result. And that becomes so much easier for you to repeat over and over and over again when you recognize exactly what it is you're doing and how it leads to positive results or sometimes negative results, but especially with the positive ones. Yeah. And, you know, it's, it's perfect example of, um, you know, it's, it's hard to shoot steel at a lot of places, but that's one of the the benefits of shooting steel is you do have that immediate reaction where you hear it, you know, that you hit the target, you saw your sight picture as you squeeze the trigger and you heard that positive, you know, reinforcement thing, you know, knowing that you hit the target. So it, it, it is really good. And that, I, I think that also goes to show, you know, when you have a good instructor who's watching what you're doing, um, not only are they looking at your form and everything, but they can tell you like, s- stop you and say, Hey, how did that look? Or how did that sight picture look? Or how did that feel when you squeeze the trigger? And, and they'll say, it felt good. Do you know where you hit? Well, I'm not really sure. Well, you hit dead center, you know, and you tell that and they're like, Oh, okay, let me try it. And you tell them, you know, repeat that same, that same motion, that same, all the things you just did do it again, even though you didn't see it. I'm telling you, you know, repeat that. And it, it, it definitely helps rather than just going out there and, and shooting and not really being sure if you're being effective or, or what you're doing. So that I, you're right. I've never heard anybody really put it together like that, but it totally makes sense. Yeah, so true. The other thing that really stood out to me was uh, he had a lot of really excellent and simple to execute uh, steps and ideas and processes for learning how to draw a gun properly. And, uh, I mean, and really it does, it starts with the index on that gun. If there was one thing I could impress upon the minds of shooters as it relates to drawing and getting their gun out on target quickly, it would be that it starts with the index. 
if you fail to index on that gun properly and effectively and repeatably, like you do it the same way every time, and you do it correctly every time, if you fail to do that, you will struggle with getting the gun out quickly and consistently and on target and accurately. So that some of those little tidbits in this interview too, from honestly a man that is one of the masters of the draw, uh, mm. very, very valuable advice. So it was, it was really cool. You know, as I started prodding him about some of what his uh, philosophies are and, and teaching and learning and all that as it relates to shooting a gun, I found that to be very valuable advice. So, hey, I told you guys at the beginning of the episode, stick around because we have a special offer uh, for those of you listening today. Uh, I do want to point out that our honorary sponsor of today's episode is Safariland. Appreciate them for inviting us into their booth. They have a massive booth, a massive presence every year at SHOT Show. It's a very busy booth, as you could probably tell from the background noise uh, of the you know as you, as you listen to the playback of the interview, and it required quite a bit of coordination and setup uh, logistically to to make this happen to be able to set up there and record these. Uh, it was actually see it was Bill and also Chris Peranto was the other interview we were able to do in the Safariland booth. So we thank Safariland. Uh, we ask each of you our listeners that if you're in the market for a holster or or whatever or other gear they make tons of tons of gear uh check them out you give them a little bit of love and uh, we'd appreciate it and thank you very much today's other sponsor though is uh mantis x with the uh, firearms training system that is becoming more and more popular i mean matthew when you start to see this appear on your local gun uh, shop or gun range shelves, you know, it's really starting to get out there. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, I remember when I first did the, uh, the review of it, it, it was pretty new, you know, I wasn't like a, you know, one of the first people to have it, but when I did the review, it, it still was kind of like not really well known. And now, like you said, you walk into Cabela's, it's in there, you walk into, um, gun stores and it's in there, but it, it shows, I mean, because it is such a good product, it really is. And, and I love it. Yeah. Oh, that's fantastic. So I, I just walked into my local range the other day and saw this on the shelf, and I was like, awesome. And you know what? Right on the box with a sticker was the price. And it's the same price you're going to see virtually everywhere you go because Mantis, the company, has a minimum a minimum advertised price for this product. And it is the MS, it's the same price as the MSRP, which is basically $150, just $149.99 or $149.95 or whatever. Okay, so that's that is the absolute like you'll see that's the price everywhere you go. Okay, so that's what to expect from this. Some of you are gonna go, I, I don't get it, or I'm not sure if I see the value for this in my in my shooting and in my training. Uh, you need to trust me on that, that this will make a difference for you, uh, especially, I mean, I'll, I'll, here's what I'll tell you guys. You newer shooters, especially, you are going to learn so much about the way you shoot from using the Mantis X, and you'll see tons of improvement in the very beginning. Now, as you go as you go on, it's going to get, you know, it, it's like a lot of things in life, right? Uh, early on, it's very easy to reap those rewards, and then it requires a little bit more work, a little more effort, you know, as you get better and better and more skilled. But uh, even as an experienced shooter, Mantis X taught me something about the way I work my trigger that I never would have guessed or understood. And I don't even think a, an experienced uh, instructor would have 
necessarily picked up on. Because Mantis X does one thing that nobody else can, and that is it's it's literally monitoring every minute movement of your hand and gun in the in the milliseconds before, during, and just after you firing a shot. That is incredibly helpful and valuable information. Yeah, and, and it, the the thing I liked especially about it because you know I I use a system kind of like this when I was in the Marine Corps to teach marksmanship. Um, but this puts it in, in, you know, you the data in a way that you can easily understand it and it makes yep. sense. And you, and, and they and show right it on your phone too. Ways. Yeah. On your phone. So you don't have to do a lot of stuff and, and you see it in different ways and it shows up and they, they, um, they've updated their, their software and they have some live fire, um, uh, drills that you can run there. And, and it, it just, it gives you that that ability to track your progress, you know, to, to, cause you can't improve unless you have a standard to, to look at, you know, a benchmark. And, um, yep. I, I really think that the way they, they design this, uh, this product and, and the interface is really good. Yep. And it gets better all the time mm-hmm. uh, as far as they keep improving it. And by, and by improving, I mean, the hardware itself basically stays the same. Um, it, it has everything it needs in it, hardware-wise to do what it needs to do. But what they keep improving is the app that you use to, and I'm opening it up right now, is the app that interfaces with the hardware, right? And so from I, I've been familiar with Mantis X since the very beginning. I saw their first prototypes when they introduced it at SHOT Show several years ago. And uh, so here it is here, right? Little Little tiny device. Very simple. I mean, I shouldn't say it's very simple. I mean, there's, I'm sure there's a lot of really smart stuff going on inside this device. But it's just a little box that you stick on your gun, right? But the the application that runs this and that interface that you interface with that, that shows you what the results are, that gives you the live read time or write a live readout of the data, that's what keeps improving, keeps adding additional features, options, information, dashboard stuff. I mean, it's... It's super cool, right? So anyway, enough about that. We've talked about it before. Just trust me, this is something that you should look into. Now, here's the deal. Today, on the episode, on this episode of the podcast, we have a special deal for you with the Mantis X. Okay? Now, we cannot advertise a lower price than what they have dictated to their dealers. <laughs> so, but what we can do is we can give you a discount uh, uh, you know, as long as I don't put put up a price or anything anywhere, as long as I'm advertising that, we can do a special deal for you guys, our listeners. Um, in fact, Guardian Nation members already get 10% off everything in our store, right? So even if you if if you are a Guardian Nation member, you already get 10% off the Mantis X if you buy it from our store. That's that's huge. That's number one, and it's a really great benefit of the Guardian Nation membership. Uh, if you shop a lot in our store, you're going to make back the money. I mean, the savings are going to pay for your membership in a flash. Okay. Today, well, I shouldn't say today only, but on today's episode of the podcast, <clears throat> I have a special coupon code too that if you use, you will get an extra 10% off. If you're not a Guardian Nation member, you'll get 10% off. If you are a Guardian Nation member, you'll get an additional 10% off. Okay. This is substantial. All right. So here's the coupon code. Podcast A1CX. So P-O-D-C-A-S-T A1CX. That 
coupon code will expire Saturday night at midnight. All right. So you've got basically a little more than 72 hours, I think, to see. No, see, it's Thursday, Friday. No, actually, it's more like 48 hours plus some changes, 50 something hours. You've got uh, a little less than three days here to go and take advantage of this special. We've never done anything like this before on the podcast, on the podcast specifically. So podcast A1CX will get you 10% off the Mantis X training system. If you'd like to save 20% off, go check out guardiannation.com and consider joining and you'll save even more. Plus, on now this coupon code is only valid on the Mantis X. Guardian Nation membership will save you 10% on everything in the store. So... Podcast A1CX. Now, go. To, here's a link to make it really easy on everybody. Go to concealedcarry.com forward slash episode 214. Very specific to, today, to, to today's episode. So, concealedcarry.com forward slash episode 214. So, it would be E-P-I-S-O-D-E 214. Concealedcarry.com forward slash episode 214. Use coupon code podcast A1CX. And I didn't even, I hadn't said this yet, by the way. This will also knock 10% off of what we call our complete shooter kit, which is huge savings. Mm. You'll see it there in the store when you go to that link. And the complete shooter kit, if you don't, if you're not familiar with it, comes with all kinds of goodies, okay? Hearing protection, eye protection, a little handgun vault, a Mantis X uh, firearms training system, uh, live, uh, live fire drill cards book, um, uh, first aid kit, a cleaning kit, lube, cleaner, a little range bag, and the Traveler's Guide to the Firearm Laws of the 50 States. That's a crazy good idea. <laughs> I mean, that's a good deal, man. That's why it's called the complete shooter kit. <laughs> okay, so the only thing you need is a gun, right? You just need a gun and a place to go. That's right. And am- ammunition, right? So. That's right. <laughs> so podcast A1CX is your coupon code valid from now till Saturday night, midnight, concealedcarry.com forward slash episode two fourteen. Go check it out. Hope that you guys are able to make, take advantage of that and save some some bucks. So now, picks of the week, Matthew. We mentioned uh, we would resurrect the picks of the week segment, uh, and I can't promise. Just by the way, just because of of time in our episodes, today's already going to be a long episode as it is. But I can't always promise we're going to be able to do picks of the week every week going forward. But we'll do our best. Okay, but we're bringing it back today. All right. And because have, you have this, we have to bring it back. That's right. I have, to... I have two picks here. All right. <laughs> and, and if you're viewing on Facebook Live, you see at least one of them and you know exactly what it is for some of you. You're like, holy crap, how do you get that unicorn? Uh, not, not a real unicorn. Uh, I'll tell you what that is in a second for those of you who don't know. And those of you that are listening only, obviously can't see what I'm holding up here. But first, my pick this week is the uh, Safari Land. Uh, I think they call this a 7TS holster, I think. I hope I got that right. Uh, I don't. Always, I don't always remember the. Uh, oops. I don't always remember the model numbers terribly well. Um, I'm not a. I'm not a Safari Land expert. I just know I have a few Safari Land holsters and what works works and and stuff. Okay, but this is one that uh, Bill Rogers talked about in the episode. So this has the the locking um, retention mechanism that you deactivate with your middle finger as part of your draw stroke. It's very intuitive, very easy, very fast. And this particular model is designed to fit. And I believe it fits a Ruger LC9, 
a Smith & Wesson Shield, and a Glock 43, which I have here. And locks in place there. It's intended for OWB carry, so outside the waistband. I was specifically looking for something OWB uh, just for range work or whatever. Or occasionally, I mean, I do carry concealed OWB fairly uh, frequently. It's getting less frequent now that the weather's warming up. But sometimes I still throw a jacket on or whatever and, and throw this on and, and carry, right? So that's a Glock 43 that it fits, and it fits those other two guns as well. But I recently, and this is my other pick, finally got a hold of for review the uh, from Sig Sauer. This is the Sig Sauer P365. Yes, the gun that everybody's been talking about. And uh, I have already run through this thing over a thousand rounds. And it is a stunner. It is a fantastic performer of a pistol. And I discovered this conveniently coincidentally also happens to fit in the safari land holster which i was super stoked about <laughs> so uh i've got a holster for this already because i didn't have one yet unless i was using a brave response holster which i also use and i've been carrying the glock p365 in the uh uh brave response appendix holster the last couple of days since i was confident that it would that my particular version of this gun is is reliable. It's been very flawless for me. Through a thousand rounds, I had two blatant failures, and they both involved aluminum cased ammunition. Everything else that was quality ammo, uh, brass cased, whatever, I pretty much didn't have any problems with. I had zero problems with anything that was quality ammo. There was a couple other brands. Let's see. I was trying to think. Of, I did have one other hang-up with a magazine. And I think it was a maybe a magazine failure more than anything. I didn't know if it was a, a round that was a little bit too long. Maybe a little bit out of spec. Um, it might have been a Magtech one. I can't remember exactly. But anyway. I But basically the gun is flawless for me. And it's it shoots great. I posted a video yesterday on my personal Facebook of me shooting a build drill with the P365. It was on a half-scale target, so I did it at three and a half yards. And I drilled that target with a two-inch group in 1.94 seconds out of deep concealment. And I consider my Brave Response Appendix holster deep concealment with this gun because it sits so low. Like, it's, you don't just, you know, you, you don't get a full grip on it necessarily very easily. So that, like, stunned me. I was like, holy cow. <laughs> I just ran yeah. a build drill freaking fast and super accurate with this little micro pistol, which is basically what it is. It was impressive, right? <laughs> I'll back you up on that. I saw it and I'm like, oh man. <laughs> and I like, like one, it was impressive. Two, I wanted the pistol. And three, <laughs> I was like, it's pretty cool. Uh, yeah. Uh, that, unless you think it took me 100 attempts, that was my, I think that was my third attempt. And the the first two attempts were almost equally fast, about right around two seconds. Um, I did have one, I think the second run was 1.9 something. And then, but the, the groups weren't quite as tight. Um, so yeah, I mean, obviously I shared my my best grouping because it just blew me away. I was like, whoa, that was fantastic. The other, the other groups were still good. This is a great shooting gun. It's super easy to shoot and it's accurate. Uh, it points very naturally for me and the triggers are awesome. So you just work the trigger and let the gun do its thing. And it's, it's great. So I'm rambling off now, but, uh, the Safari land, I think, like I said, I think this is a 70 S I think, I don't know. Uh, sorry, Safari land, if you're listening and I got that wrong and the Sig Sauer P365 new pistol from Sig Sauer that everybody's raving about, uh, 
at least as far as it's hard, it's hard as heck to get a hold of right now. So anyway, I recommend both. Go check them out. Matthew, you got a pick this week? Yeah, it's kind of hard to follow up after the 365. But um, and I have no cool videos that go along with it. But my pick, first of all, um, is this Overwatch Precision, um, the D or the Tac Trigger, um, right here. I have it in this Glock Forty Three. I like but that. That's yeah, it's a nice flat looking. face. Uh, it has that flat face. Um, it really reduces that pre-travel and reset um, for the trigger. Feels really, really good. I'm working on a on a review on that, um, but really cool. Uh, product from Overwatch Precision is their TAC trigger. They have a couple other ones, but um, I really like the TAC feel. And then I figured since you were doing your uh, the, the Safari Land um, uh, interview with uh, Bill Rogers that I'd pull out my old duty belt. <laughs> nice. And my ALS uh, holster that I love. And this thing was a level one holster for my Glock 22. Um, looking at the, the scrapes and everything. With a Surefire X300? Yep. Yep. Yeah. Right there. And, uh, you know, all the, uh, you know, the fights and everything that this thing, um, lasted through and (laughs) they just make a quality gear, quality gear. And and I love that holster. Um, the, the, the ALS with the thumb, uh, thumb activated, uh, break right there. I loved it is very intuitive. Like, like the other one with the uh, middle finger, uh, release, but you know, duty holsters are are really important. Obviously, um, that that they're um, well made, but knowing that Safari Land makes concealed carry holsters as well um, is really good because they do make quality products. They don't make stuff that's junk. They just don't. Um, and so, yeah, I wanted to wanted to pull yep. that out. I went out to the garage and pulled it out so I could show you that I still got mine. It still works. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> nice. Good on you, man. <laughs> one up me, one upping me there for sure with the pulling out the whole duty rig. <laughs> I haven't worn it for about four years, so I don't know <laughs> if it's going to fit, but <laughs> <laughs> nice. Good stuff. Well, those are, those are great picks, man. So anyway, guys, thanks for joining us with the, today's episode of the podcast. Uh, appreciate those of you interacting with us on Facebook. Hopefully some of you can join us again also soon on Facebook live. Uh, still working on the tech piece on trying to get to where we can be live on Facebook and YouTube at the same time. We would, we'd prefer to do it simultaneously if we can still working on that. Just in, in case some of you are wondering about that, hopefully getting a little bit closer on that. Just a reminder, next week, we are headed to Louisville, Kentucky for the USCCA Expo, where we will have a broadcast booth set up for the three days of the show, doing live coverage of the show and awesome interviews with industry professionals, uh, people you're going to want to hear from. And you, if you can't be there in person, you can view live our, uh, let's see, I don't know if I have that link quite ready yet. Hold on, I'm going to take a quick look here. Uh, but you can view the live coverage of the USCCA Expo show uh, on our website. And so yeah, stay tuned the time for it. it opens up to the time it closes, we're going to be going live and we're also going to be giving out um, some giveaways too. Oh yeah. So don't forget about that. It's very important. Thanks for <laughs> reminding me of that. Yes. Uh, we've got a really cool special uh, uh, gift. Frankly, it's just a gift. Uh, uh, you don't really, well, there's one little thing that you might have to do when you show up at the booth, uh, but it's really super easy, and we'll send you away with a really cool uh, 
goodie, basically a goodie bag. It's not a bag, but uh, it's pretty close to a bag. And uh, just come there and find out. Yeah, okay. it, it, I, I guarantee you, it's going to be the coolest thing being given away at the USCC Expo, hands down. Uh, a lot of things will be for sale at the USCC Expo, not not from us. We're not selling anything directly. We're giving away something though, pretty pretty dang cool. So come check us out at the uh, broadcast booth right next to the demonstration stage at the USCCA Expo. Um, because of the show coming up and other personal things with, with me and my family, uh, we may be missing a few live uh, broadcasts of the podcast, but uh, you can always catch us on the podcast feed on iTunes or Google Play or wherever you choose to listen to your podcasts. So don't miss it. Guys, we're going to let you go. Take care. Have a great weekend. Uh, also, a reminder, I do have a bonus podcast episode that I hope to get live tomorrow sometime, and that will be an interview we did with Monty Long of XS Sites. Now, you may not know or be familiar with Monty Long, but he's a he's a competitive shooter. He's an employee there at XS Sites. He really knows his stuff. And uh, we talked about uh, some of the cool stuff that XS Sites has available for shooters, plus just other shooting the breeze type stuff as well. So anyway, look forward to that bonus interview together with Monty and I from SHOT Show. That'll get us right up to where I think we have one last interview to share from SHOT Show, and that'll be Max and Lena, uh, sponsored Sig Sauer Shooters. Uh, yeah, so anyway, we'll, we'll be chatting with them or sharing that interview uh, in next Thursday's episode of the podcast. Look forward to it. So a reminder to train right, train often, and train safe so you can fight hard, fight fast, and fight true. Take care, everyone. reminder that laws vary from place to place, and we encourage listeners to seek local legal advice to understand applicable laws. The Concealed Carry Podcast, Concealed Carry Inc., ConcealedCarry.com, and their affiliates strive to share insights and stories about firearm-related incidents and laws, but things could be different where you live, or laws may have changed by the time you listen to this. We cannot be held liable for your actions based on the information shared in this podcast.